0: Hi everyone, I'm Joe Saxton and I've been part of the Mercy family for a few years now and it's great to be speaking with you today. We're in week two of our new series, Living the Good and the Beautiful Life, which is built around the Sermon on the Mount. Now the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapters 5 through seven and contains some of the most well-known parts of the teaching of Jesus even things that our wider culture knows about turning the other cheek things like that and it's been described as a manifesto um, that Jesus offers for everyday life we're going to look at one specific passage the start of Matthew chapter five um, known as the Beatitudes but before I go any further let's just pray together Father God, we want to thank you for the opportunity to learn from your word and to learn from your heart and how you invite us to live. So we simply ask that you would meet with us wherever we are today, wherever we're at physically, wherever we're at emotionally and mentally, that your word would speak to us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So like I said, we're looking at the Beatitudes, a series of declarations and statements of blessing that Jesus gives, showing what a blessed life is like, what a wonderful life I think N.T. Wright describes that in the kingdom of God, what it looks like practically. And I'll read it to you in just a moment. But I want to set the scene for us as we dive in and look at these things together. You see, by the time Jesus was walking on earth, there was already a view amongst the people of God about what the kingdom of God was like and who got to be blessed in it. After generations of oppressors occupying their land, the people of God had wondered when God was going to restore the kingdom of Israel to them, when they'd have autonomy and freedom. And theologians note that it was actually quite specific what people thought the blessed people would be like, who they would be, and who got to be part of God's kingdom, what that was like. So the main understanding of the religious leaders of the time was that God had chosen the nation of Israel and wasn't inviting anyone outside of that. So that was one thing. Another thing was that people who were part of God's kingdom, the recipients were largely male. Women were often deemed as second class or as property or other things that are going to make us feel awkward if I describe them in any more detail. So I'm going to move on. Um, Other things that people who were part of the kingdom were seen as they were understood to be holy and pure. They kept the law strictly. They ate the right food. They observed the Sabbath and they weren't associated with anybody who was deemed a sinner. Anyone. Not even close. God's kingdom was for the healthy. If you were sick or blind or disabled, a leper, it was a sign in in their mindset of God's curse, your sin, maybe your parents' sins, something like that. And God's kingdom was for the wealthy. The poor were seen as those who were abandoned by God. So that was the the cultural view that Jesus was speaking into. And with that in mind, now I'm finally going to read from Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, God's invitation, his grand invitation is which is what we're going to be looking at today. His grand invitation was very different to the culture of the day. It may seem outlandish and exclusive when you think of the context he was speaking into. But actually, every culture throughout history, every worldview has had its idea of what a blessed life was and who got to belong to it. It often revolved around health and wealth, power, success, popularity and a version of strength. And if we're honest, and it's good to be honest, we Christians actually aren't that exempt from that. We sometimes have those same values about wealth and health and power, success, popularity, our body size, um, whether we're married or not, whether we have kids or not, whether our kids are well behaved enough or not. And then we sprinkle a little bit of Jesus and we call it a blessed life. Our understanding sometimes is that the kingdom of God is our location, our church, our building. For some of us, it may be our country or the West or some who are deemed as having a Christian worldview. But we see again and again in this passage and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, indeed throughout the Gospels, that Jesus saw things differently. So the kingdom of God was not a geographical place. The word in the Greek is basileia, which actually is often better translated kingship of God. It referred to the rule of God, the rule and the reign of God in any given situation. It was not, the kingdom of God was not a building. It was not found exclusively in a building. It wasn't found exclusively in a a country. It was not about a political party. It was not about a particular part of the world. It was about the rule and the reign of God. Now, we could go um, week by week on each one of these declarations, each one of the Beatitudes that I've, I've read from, because they're so rich. But since we don't have the time for all of that, I have three simple thoughts. I want to encourage you to look at it in your own time. But I have three simple thoughts on the grand invitation of God that we see in these Beatitudes. So thought number one, the Beatitudes are a generous God-sized invitation to each and every one of us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's fascinating because the the phrase poor in spirit refers to those who are humbled and helpless, aware of the the utter helplessness in their life, aware of their inability to manage themselves. And uh, they're the ones that Jesus says, the kingdom of God is yours that that's an opportunity for God to rule and reign. The word for mourning here where it says, blessed are those who mourn for they're comforted. Mourning here is in the Greek language, the strongest word the Greek language could find to express the depth of mourning here, the lament of one who was deeply loved. It conveys the sense of broken heartedness. Broken hearted for our own lives, broken hearted for the lives of others. And it's fascinating as we think of our expectation of a blessed life and our expectation of the kingdom of God, that when we look at the words of Jesus, he doesn't need us to present and show up in a particular way. He doesn't need us to have it all together and shiny. And so if you are worn down by the ever changing landscape that this year has been to us, If you are in agony over the state of your world, the state of your community, the state of your family, the state of your life. If you are wearied by the decision fatigue that besets your every day as you're working out what to do for your kids, for your wider family, for your friends, for you as you live alone as a single person, whatever your life stage. If you are poor in spirit, this is an opportunity for the rule and the reign of God to break into our lives in a fresh way, to meet us in our morning. So if that's you, I want to encourage you. There are many ways that we can receive from the kingdom of God, receive God's kindness, his mercy, his grace. It may be that you want to get someone to pray with you. It may be that you need to let a friend or a family member know how you're really at. I think so often in Christian culture, we have allowed an, an attitude of shame to push us away from the help that we need. For some of us, actually, the next step may be talking to a counselor or a therapist or making a doctor's appointment because we know that the levels of anxiety anxiety and fear that we feel are overwhelming and defining our life. Wherever you're at know this God doesn't see you as someone who's on the outskirts of the kingdom he said the kingdom of God belongs to you. This is a chance for God to rule and reign. The next thing that we see here or the next thought I want to offer is that the Beatitudes are a reminder of kingdom values and a God-shaped life. One of the challenges about these verses and this kind of list of blessings is that it can get prescriptive and we treat it like a visa application form for entry into the kingdom of God in some way. I don't know if you've ever filled out a visa form. I'm a Brit, I'm a Londoner and Nigerian. And um, so when we came to this country, we had to apply for a visa. When we wanted to stay in this country, we had to apply for a visa. When we wanted to stay longer in this country, we had to apply for things. And if you've ever done it, you'll know it's a trip it takes, it's long, it's tedious, and it is obsessed with detail. You make one mistake and you have to go right to the back of the line. Oh, and you pay all over again, by the way. And now you're really afraid that you're going to be seen as a criminal. So um, you pay for a lawyer. You tend to pay for a lawyer to help you see what you can't see because you know you're not good at this stuff. God's people are a bit like that in this moment. How do you get into the kingdom of God? How how are you acceptable? And so the Pharisees and the scribes were the ones who knew the stuff they didn't know and everybody's left feeling condemned. I think we do this too sometimes. How do we get our spiritual visa for the good and beautiful life? How do we achieve God's grand invitation? How do we get into the kingdom of God? Do we have to be poor? Do we have to know how to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do we have to be persecuted or at least call it that? So we feel like we're the real deal. As a result, we can become legalistic or performative in our faith. And sometimes, if we're honest, a little bit obnoxious as well. Um, Dallas Willard reminds us uh, in one of his books, he says, you know, God is um, opposed to earning. (laughs) He's not opposed to effort, but he's opposed to earning the idea that we earn our way in. And so these beatitudes are an invitation, not to prescribe our ways for God's approval, but to align our hearts with his values, our approach to life. When it comes to the kingdom of God, we are transformed, yes, by the words of Jesus. We're transformed by the works of Jesus, um, obviously exemplified in his work on the cross. But we're transformed. Excuse me, I nearly tripped over. um, We're transformed by the way of Jesus the way of Jesus and these beatitudes show us a way of living that he invites us to align ourselves with. So we look at the word meek here, blessed are the meek, and we might in our culture see it as someone who's groveling or who's a pain to be around when actually the word for meekness is um, the picture of an animal who has all its strength and power but has learned to take the direction and leadership of another. It's been domesticated in some way, God's control in our context. How are we aligning ourselves to God's values on meekness? Let me take another example, the idea of peacemakers. One of the blessings Jesus offers is, um, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, the peacemaker is the word here, not the peace lover or the peacekeeper. The peacemaker walks toward the chaos, the challenge, the difficulty, and the conflict and addresses it. They are not passive recipients of the status quo for the sake of a peaceful life. They do not value politeness, and passivity over equity. That's what a peacemaker is. And that's who he he says is blessed. A great example of this is Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the whole anti-apartheid movement um, in South Africa of years back as they seek to address the systemic realities and injustice that took place there over many, many years. And his words about reconciliation and peacemaking were this, forgiving and being reconciled to our enemies or our loved ones are not about pretending that things are other than what they are. It's not about patting one another on the back and turning a blind eye to the wrong. True reconciliation exposes the awfulness, the abuse, the hurt, the truth, It could even make things worse. It's a risky undertaking, but in the end, it's worthwhile because in the end, only an honest confrontation with reality can bring real healing. Superficial reconciliation can only bring superficial healing. What does it look like to align ourselves with God's values on peacemaking in our relationships, in our community, at work, in the Twin Cities? When we look back on this year and we think of the things which have devastated our very own cities, which have been exposed, when we've looked at um, the systemic realities of, in terms of racial inequality, are we peace lovers, peace keepers or peacemakers? And I sometimes wonder whether we look at those who walk into the chaos and call out injustice and whether we call them divisive when actually God calls them peacemakers and calls them children of God. The Beatitudes are an invitation. All of them are an invitation to align ourselves with God's values and a God-shaped life. So our invitation is this. What does it look like? Not to prescribe ourselves a checklist where we're good enough for God, but to look at how we align our life with the words of Jesus, the works of Jesus, but also the way of Jesus. And then real quick, finally. Finally, the Beatitudes offer an open arms, grand invitation to the world around us. Luke's account of of these blessings is slightly different. They're direct to people. They bless the poor specifically. And it's a public declaration of saying these people who are on the margins are actually included. And it's a reminder to all of us, both in Matthew's account and in Luke's slightly different account, that the kingdom of God looks different to how we've planned this thing and how we've expected this thing there. And we as the hands and feet of Jesus as representatives of his world and his heart and his values are invited to be part of that. When we look at the early church, we see they had no buildings, they had no budgets, they had no bands, and yet they took this message of good news, which took the sinners and took the good people and the rich and the poor and the able and the differently able. they took people of different ethnicities and shared this message and they lived it and they turned the world around them upside down because the kingdom of God was different to anything the world could offer. And we're invited to do the same. What would it look like for us to open an open armed grand invitation to people in our families, our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplace, our city, even in the limitations that we see ourselves in? And so to close, I simply want to offer this. God's offering a grand invitation in these Beatitudes. He always has and he continues to offer it today, wherever you're at, whether you've walked with God for years or you stumbled on YouTube and you don't know quite why you're here. God is offering a grand invitation that the love of Jesus is for you, that the mercy of Jesus is for you, that the redemptive, transformative power of Jesus is for you, even today. And so the way we respond to that invitation and an invitation does invite a response is we receive it. Where do you need to receive God's invitation? Are you poor in spirit? God is here for you. Where do you need to align yourself with his kingdom values to recognize that meekness is different, that purity is different, that peacemaking is different because we're following the ways of Jesus? And who do you need to share the good news of the kingdom with? Receive the invitation. Align your life with this invitation. Share God's invitation and let him lead us into his life transforming version, the real version of a good and a beautiful life. Let's pray together. Lord, there are so many things in these words. There are so many directions we could go. So we simply ask that you would show us the next step. Search our hearts. For those of us who are at the end of ourselves, and this has been a long year that seems to have lasted about 35 years. Lord, we ask that you would meet us, help us receive your kindness and your mercy. For those of us who have tried to get your approval and be good enough for you, Lord, we recognize that you invite us to align our lives with you. And for those of us who maybe aren't even sure what the good news of the kingdom is, Lord, that we would encounter you in a new way. Help us receive the kingdom of God. Help us align ourselves with your values and help us, Lord, share this good news to everybody who needs to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.